We do appreciate the uh, presence of each one this morning. We're glad every single one of you is here and uh, glad uh, to see uh, everybody in the, their place this morning. I hope that our time together has been time well spent, that we've indeed engaged in worship in spirit and in truth. Think sometimes about people who may not be here, people that cannot be here and uh, watching online at home. They're not able to be out, but they're able to uh, use our uh, live stream to help them spend a period of devotion and worship at home. And we, it's not like being here, not like being here in person, I know. But that is, uh, if people are not able to get out and be here, that, that is available. And I'm glad to hear it. Sometimes it's, it's used to, to profit, and so appreciate that as well. We've been talking a little bit about thinking biblically about the world around us and what's going on in the world as we watch the news and see events take place. How, how should we think about those things? Are, are they good? Are they bad? Are they right? Are they wrong? How do we decide how to think about things? And so we're trying to shape our thinking by Scripture and learning to think biblically, make biblical evaluations and judgments uh, about what's going on in the world around us, whether it's an international level, a national level, a, a personal level. How, how should we think about things that are going on in the world and in our lives as well? If you've been watching the news lately, you've come across these particular items. There's a, in my judgment anyway, I think judgment of all of us, a completely unnecessary war being fought in the Ukraine in which tens of thousands of people have been killed. Many of them children, many of them women, many of them civilians, not soldiers, not combatants, just people going about their lives and their lives being, being taken. Well, what's going on with that? How should we think about that? Recently, a 19-year-old man went into a school in St. Louis armed with a rifle, killed a 15-year-old student and a teacher. That's the 40th school shooting resulting in injury or death this year in the United States. That's, that's uh, uh, I'm not sure what the word for that is. It's startling. There have been 132 school shootings in uh, the United States since 2018. We know the events in May in Uvalde, Texas. An 18-year-old man killed 19 students and two teachers in a local elementary school. A man was found guilty the other day, just a couple of days ago, driving his car into a Christmas parade which several people are kill, were killed. People are marching in the streets because the Supreme Court decided that each state should decide for itself whether or not to allow a woman to terminate the life of her unborn child. We're allowing children to decide to change their gender as if that were possible and having medical procedures including surgery to make the so-called transition permanent and condemn anybody that would raise an objection to that. The Supreme Court has decided back a few years ago to allow same-sex marriage. Profane speech, obscenity is rampant. Vulgarity is considered talent these days. So do you ever look around and wonder what in the world is going on? <laughs> Sometimes I'll see something on the news and I'll think, have we completely lost our minds? Well, how do we think 
about the world? How should we think about the world? Why is the world the way it is? We might think this is not the world that I grew up in. And I, you know, I'm the first one to say there are a lot of good things in the world. It's not all bad. There are good people in the world doing good things. Whenever there's a disaster in an area, a hurricane or a tornado, afterward you see people flocking to that area and doing good things at their own expense. And so there are good things in the world and good people in the world. It's not all like the picture I painted a moment ago. But surely at times we sit here and wonder, what has gone wrong in the world? Why, why is this happening? Well, we want to think biblically about things. And we want to shape our thinking by Scripture. And so let's go to Scripture and let's see if we can determine, and not in a comprehensive way, of course. This is not a comprehensive explanation as to why things like this happen in the world. But at least get us started in thinking the way the Bible encourages us to think, informs our thinking about the world around us. What has happened to the world? Well, the first thing we'll note is that, well, we'll come to that in just a moment. When the world began, everything was good. And so that's how things started. When, when the world began, it was all good. That was that's what we learned in the first chapter of Genesis. God, on six days of creation, made various elements in the world. And, and during the process, He saw what He had made, and it was good. And then at the end of the process, the end of the six days, He, he looked at what He had made, and it was very good. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And so at that point in time, there's no evil, no, nothing ungodly, no violence in the world, no crime, no lying or cheating and stealing, only peace and fellowship with God. And so when things began, it was good. Everything was good. It, it wasn't like things are today. In Genesis 2, we find that God imposed His law upon the first man and woman. And so He placed them in the Garden of Eden, Gave them access to all the, 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 the food that was there with the exception of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 2 he tells them, don't eat of this fruit or you will die. And so man is created there and placed there and it's an idyllic situation. He has one law to keep. Don't transgress this law. Don't eat this particular fruit. But God creates man with the ability to choose, to obey or disobey. And so he can choose not to eat the fruit, or he can disobey God and choose to eat the fruit. Now, how do I know that he has the ability to choose to eat or not to eat? Well, if God had dictated or God had determined beforehand that man would transgress his law, well, then God would be the source of sin, wouldn't he? And so if God had predetermined that Adam would transgress his law, well, then it would be God who is responsible in a very direct way uh, for sin. Well, we know that God is not the source of evil. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. We know that God cannot be tempted to sin, and He doesn't tempt others to sin. And so God is not the source of evil. However, there is a malevolent spiritual being. We talked about him a few weeks ago. and He's called Satan in the Bible. And so Satan approaches Eve and deceives her, and uh, she eats of the forbidden fruit, and then Adam follows her in disobedience, and, and he eats of the forbidden fruit. 
And so the virus has entered into the world. We, we, know what, we know what it is to contend with a virus. The virus of sin now has entered into the world and it begins to spread. And so the offspring of Adam and Eve, they, they become guilty of sin as well. Cain, for example, is jealous of his brother Abel. He becomes angry with him and he commits an act of violence against him. He kills him. He murders his brother. And then things get worse. You've got Lamech, just open disregard, just open rebellion against God's standard. And you see about that in uh, Genesis chapter 4. He has two wives named Ada and Zillah, and he's killed a young man for wounding him, another man. And he says, you know, if, if, if Cain is, is guilty, I'm seven times worse than Cain ever thought about being, you know, something like that. And so things are getting worse until finally, Genesis 6 and verse 5, the world becomes exceedingly corrupt, and God's sorry that He had even made man. God's curse enters the picture. So at the beginning, everything was good, but Satan comes along. He tempts Eve to sin. She sins. She influences her husband to sin. And then the virus is in the world, and it's spread until things just become so corrupt, God decides to destroy the world with a flood, and begin again with Noah and his family. And that doesn't go very well either, does it? Eventually, even Noah becomes involved in, in transgression. And so in these early chapters of Genesis, we kind of have a template for the development of an evil world. Humanity goes from innocence and fellowship with God th to thorough corruption and the wrath of God. And what brings that about? Well, that's what, that's what we're going to think about in a little bit more detail as we go along. First of all, behind the evil actions of human beings, Satan is persuading them to defy God. And so we saw that in, in the beginning of our template, so to speak. In the beginning of these opening chapters of the book of Genesis, we saw Satan, the spiritual being, malevolent and evil, coming to the woman created in God's image, persuading her and tempting her, to defy God, really, to defy Him, to rebel against Him. Now, it seems like a little thing, just eat this forbidden fruit, but really at the heart of it is, is rebellion and disobedience. The Scripture doesn't say very much at all about the origin of Satan. We know that it was, must have been created, created good, because that's all that God creates is good things, but in His freedom to choose and in His pride, He rebels against God, and now He tries to persuade others to follow His lead. He will do anything in His power to accomplish this. Now, He doesn't have all power. The, the story of Job illustrates that. Remember, Job uh, is tempted by Satan, but God restricts Satan's ability to tempt Job. So, Satan is not equal with God. He's not an evil God. He's weaker than God. He's subordinate to God, and God controls His power, and yet at the same time, he allows men the freedom to choose good or evil. Satan is trying to persuade us to do evil. And he'll do anything in his power to accomplish this. He wants us to rebel against God in, in any way, to, to any degree. And, and, and Satan is happy if, if we commit heinous acts of violence and gross immorality and we do that over and over and over again. Or Satan is happy if we just commit a little small transgression. That gets us started, doesn't it? It gets us on our way. 
And so Satan is out there persuading us to rebel against God, maybe in just little things, small areas, but big areas as well. He's on the prowl looking for whom he may devour. He's strong, he's clever. He may suddenly deceive us or openly attack us. He's been able to corrupt individuals and at times entire populations. And he will not rest, never rest in his efforts. Why is the world the way it is? Why, why is there so much wrong with the world from a moral point of view, from a scriptural point of view? Because Satan is at work. He's the source of evil and moral decay of every kind. He's a murderer. He's a liar. If we're not knowledgeable of right and wrong, he's able to deceive us. All right, so if we don't know right from wrong, if we're not thinking scripturally and biblically about things, and shaping our lives by Scripture, well, then He's able to deceive us and draw us away, away from God, where we're meant to be, in fellowship with God. Now, in our world, since the influence of God's Word has been compromised, which I think it's pretty clear that it has been, you know, people just don't know the Bible the way they once did. It's just not part of their lives. I'm sure a lot of people don't own a Bible. And so they don't read the Bible, and they don't know the Bible, haven't learned the Bible. And, and consequently, they're not able to see Satan's devices for what they are. And so they fall prey to the snare. The Bible describes Satan as the ruler of this world. John chapter 12, in th verse 31. I, in preparation, came across this description. He is a slithering intrusion into a good world. And so I, I thought that was a good way to describe him. God created a good world, and Satan is a slithering intrusion into it. Why are things the way they are? Satan is at work in our world. That's part of the explanation. Another element of the explanation is that human beings have abused their freedom to choose good and evil. Now, God created human beings with the freedom to choose to be loyal to Him or disloyal to Him. Now, I suppose God could have pre-programmed people to honor Him, as we might program a robot to perform a task for us. We, we bought one of those robot vacuum cleaners. Have you, have you got a robot vacuum cleaner? We, we bought one of those. It's a little round vacuum cleaner. I've got an app on my phone. I can start the vacuum cleaner. I, I can start it now if I wanted to. And it, it kind of make its way through the house and go back and forth. We got it. We, we'd stand there and watch it for a while, you know. Thought, that's kind of like a little pet. And uh, that's a pretty good job, I thought. But it's programmed to do that. Whoever made it programmed it to vacuum the house. And it'll vacuum the house. Whenever I push the button, it'll do the task that it's been programmed to do. And it does a pretty good job. But you know, it's not quite like having someone say, you know, let me vacuum the house for you. I've got so much respect for you. You've done so much for me. And, and, and I have this great, uh, uh, deep love for you, and I just want to do something to help you. How about let me vacuum for you? Now, that, that's different, isn't it? I don't have much feeling, you know, for the robot. It's just doing what it's been programmed to do. But, but the other one, I, it, it would move me, wouldn't it? I'd really appreciate that. You know, God could have created us to be like the robot. 
And whenever he pushes the button, say, how great thou art. But what God wants is for people with free will to say, I love you. I'm devoted to you. You've done so much for me. Let me serve you. That's a different story, isn't it? And so we've abused that. We've abused that freedom to choose God. We've abused that because we've used that freedom not to choose God. See, God made us with the ability to choose, but along with that comes the ability not to choose Him. Well, somebody might say, well, maybe God created us with free will, but He so arranged things that in our free will we will always choose Him if we are meant to. I heard I believe Ed, Ed Harrell, some of you know Ed Harrell. If I've got all this correct in my mind, one time he'd, he'd been talking to a, a man from Russia. You know, Brother Harrell was in uh, academics and he was a man of some accomplishment. And, and he was at some kind of conference, I think, talking to a man from Russia. And the man from Russia said, I don't know why people think we in Russia don't have freedom of religion. Well, the, the government has approved of six different churches that people can be a member of. That's not freedom, is it? That's not really freedom. If your choices are limited, you're not free. And so if God has said, you're free only to choose me, or you're free only not to choose me, I'm going to determine which of those you... That's not, that's not freedom, really, is it? And so with the ability to choose God comes the ability not to choose God. And God, of course, wants us to choose Him. Joshua 24, verse 14, Choose you this day whom you will serve. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, I set before you life and death. Choose life. We have that ability. Now we live in an age when, like the period of the judges, people are doing more and more what is right in their own eyes. Remember, that's, that's the way the period of the judges is described. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we live in an age when more and more people are doing what's right in their own eyes. And just as some people give themselves wholly to God, to serve God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, some people give themselves wholly to do evil. That's, that's their choice. They choose to do evil. And everything in between, I suppose... Most people are somewhere in between. They want to try to do good, but, but they choose to do evil at times as well. And so we choose, we, we use this ability that God has given us to choose, we use it to choose evil and to transgress what He would have us to do. So if people are not motivated to serve God, what, what does motivate them? Well, I think we can go back to the story of Adam and Eve in these first chapters of the book of Genesis, maybe on in chapter 4 and, and so forth. And we can draw from that uh, some, uh, some answers to that question. Well, what's motivating people not to choose God? Well, same things are motivating us that motivated, for example, Eve in the beginning. Remember, Satan comes to Eve and... He says, uh, well, hasn't God told you that you could eat of every fr uh, tree, the fruit of every tree in the garden? And she said, well, yeah, we can eat of every tree except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not to eat of that fruit, not even touch it, lest we die. Oh, you're not going to die, Satan says. God just knows that if you were to eat that, you would become like God. You'd become like Him. You would be wise like Him, knowing good and evil. And so... 
He's appealing to Eve's desire to be something more than she has a right to be, to acquiring something better for herself than what God was giving her. He tells her, you're being unjustly deprived. God's holding you back from being what you really are capable of being. He's he's sort of squelching you from reaching your full potential. We, We might say he appealed to her pride, the desire to be more, to be greater than God had created her to be. He promised her wisdom as God would, uh, as God was wise. And so he appeals to that pride. Well, Satan is appealing to our pride. You can have more. You can be more. You can be greater. Of course, when we act on that pride, well, then we end up transgressing what God would have us to do and be. Satan appealed to her flesh as well. Remember in Genesis chapter, go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, you'll see that as a result of her dialogue with Satan, she begins to think about this fruit. And uh, it says that she saw that it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise. And so that you can see the fleshly component in that. It's good for food, it's de- a delight to the eyes. And so he's appealing to her flesh. Look how good this looks. Look how appealing this is. And so he's appealing to her fleshly, carnal, bodily desire. And that's the way he deals with us as well. It's the lust of the flesh, as uh, John describes it in 1 John chapter 2. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the vain glory of life. And so what motivates people? Their pride the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Going to chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain was motivated by jealousy. And so you remember Genesis chapter 4, God calls upon Cain and Abel. They they sacrifice to God. God accepts the sacrifice of Abel. He rejects the sacrifice of Cain. And Cain Cain becomes jealous of that. And then he becomes angry about the situation. And then he commits an act of violence. Violence. What's what's motivating him? His jealousy. Think of all the harm that's been done as a result of jealousy in the world. In fact, in James chapter 3, James says that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. Where, Where there's jealousy, well, there's every evil thing. Just think of all the harm and uh, violence that's been done and uh, just the mean things that have been done as a result of jealousy. So Cain becomes jealous. He becomes angry about the situation. And then, of course, we know he kills his brother. Same thing's going on in the world today. It hasn't changed very much. People are jealous. People are are angry and committing acts of violence. Pride, anger, jealousy, and then, uh, of course, the flesh. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 19, we come across a man named Lamech. We referred to him a moment ago. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech. I've killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Here's a man who just lives in bold, defiant, open disregard for God's will. He's just defiant about it. He has two wives. When God created one woman for one man, he's got two wives. And look at how violent he is. He's just openly defiant 
and bold and all just that's how that's where things have gotten to. And that's why people are today, same kind of thing. Not, not very much different, just bold and defiant in their in their uh, opposition to doing God's will. And so what, what motivates people? Well, there's pride, the flesh, jealousy, anger, leads to just bold disregard for God's will. But perhaps at the heart of the matter, there's focus on self. There's, there's, I want what I want. Ambition. Getting what I want. I, think, I don't care what I have to pay or who's hurt in the process. The desire for greatness and power. Those are the things that motivate people. They always have motivated people. And you can add to that things like greed and lust and hatred. And you have a world like the world we live in. This is what happens when people defy God's will. This is what we end up with. A lack of knowledge of God's will and a immoral, violent world to live in. Romans chapter 1 is a passage that describes all that. You, you recall this passage. Paul is describing the Gentile world and its descent away from God. And three times in the passage, God says, as a result of their attitudes, God gave them up. God, God gave them over. For example, in verse 24, in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions. And verse 28, just as they did not see fit to have God in their knowledge any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. And so here are people that are intent on doing what they want to do, no matter how immoral or ungodly. And God says, okay, that's what you want. You can, you can, you can go with that. And of course, the end of all that is, is judgment. So when we see things not as they should be, we can conclude that people are being motivated by lust and greed and selfishness, the flesh, anger, malice, hatred, pride, ambition. Just like they always have. Maybe to a new degree, maybe a degree that we're unfamiliar with or haven't seen before, but same kind of things. That's why the world is the way it is. Well, we might wonder at this point, shouldn't God do something about this? After all, He's the one who created us with a choice. If He hadn't created us with a choice, maybe we wouldn't have gone the way we've gone. And so doesn't He bear some responsibility to, to do something? And, and, and is it right for Him to sit by idly while the world just goes further and further and further down the tubes? You know what? Shouldn't He do something? Well, I would suggest that the Scriptures teach us that God will do something about evil. Now, sometimes evil is dealt with in the present age. You know, in Romans chapter 13, Paul teaches us that the government is God's agent to execute justice or to come in judgment against the evildoer or the, the wrongdoer. And so verse 4 says, Government is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God as an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And so sometimes people receive their just desserts in the present age. So here's a person that does evil, commits an act of violence, breaks in and steal. And so the government imposes upon him a just sentence for the evil that he's done. And so sometimes justice is served in in the present age. On occasion, 
God has intervened and dealt with those who defy Him. I thought about uh, Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 12. Uh, we'll turn over there. And uh, we'll see, in, beginning in, in verse 20, that Herod is exalting himself as God and, and uh, promoting himself in that way. And the, the, the people are crying out to him, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he didn't give God the glory and is eaten with worms and died. I don't know that that eaten with worms and died happened immediately, but that's, that's what happened to him over the process of time. And so sometimes God has, has stepped in and intervened and He's uh, administered justice on people that are due it. But for all of us, there's a day of judgment coming, even for those that we've talked about just a moment ago, for Herod and for those who are dealt with by civil government. For all of us, there's a day of judgment coming when we'll be held accountable for our deeds. Revelation chapter 20 is a passage that teaches that. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds, and, and so forth. There's a great day of judgment coming when we will all stand before God and be held accountable for our deeds. And so on that day, those responsible for killing innocent people in an unjustified war or senseless acts of violence, they're going to be held accountable for their deeds. God is going to do something about it. Those who harm and abuse women and children in shameful ways will stand before God in judgment and give an account of themselves. Those who cheat and lie and steal will be held accountable in judgment. On any level, you cheat and lie and steal on a small level or a big level, you're going to be held accountable. Those who give themselves over to the lust of the flesh and live lives of debauchery and excess and self-indulgence and depravity will stand before Him in judgment. Those who pervert the divinely ordained natural order of things will be held accountable. And that's going on today, isn't it? Those who are perverting the divinely ordained natural order of things will be held accountable. People whose hearts are filled with hatred and malice and contempt for their fellow man will stand before Him in judgment. All of us will, the small and the great. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God in His long-suffering is being patient until that day. He wants people to come to repentance. In the meantime, we're faced with a situation where Satan is behind the scenes, tempting us to, to defy God and rebel against Him. We're abusing the ability that God has given us to choose good and, rather than evil. We're, we're choosing evil. So, and so that's going on, but the day is coming when we'll all stand before God in judgment. We might also say that God has done something about these things already. You see, God the Son has come into the world to show us the way to live. And so here you have a world going astray, and, and God in a sense says, I'll, I'll go and I'll show them, I'll show them how to live. And so God the Son comes, and He provides an example for us. 
He says, I've come into the world not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That, that's how we need to live. We need to commit ourselves to doing the will of God, the Father. He explains to us and teaches us how to live a blessed life. Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for and thirst for righteousness. You want to get, live a good life? A blessed life? Here you go, right here. This is the way to do it. Jesus, God the Son, has taught us. He's shown us the kind of character to have. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And we should be meek and lowly in heart as well. And of course He's taught us to serve others. The greatest in the kingdom of God is serving others. Doing the Father's will, living the life that Jesus taught us to live, developing the character that He possessed Himself, serving others. If all lived as Christ lived, just think about that. If everyone lived as Christ lived, what kind of world would we be living in today? And finally, God the Son has redeemed us from evil. Shouldn't God do something about this? He has done something about it. He sent His Son into the world to show us the way to live, to redeem us from the evil in our life, and to give us that opportunity of having and living in fellowship with Him once again. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 tells us that he bore our sins. And so He took our wickedness, our evil. He took our sin and bore our sin in His body on the cross. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says it this way. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so He became sin for us. He took all of our sin. He went to the cross and made a sacrifice for sin, atone for our sins so that we might be right with God. And he tells us that there's a reward for those who accept Him and follow Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. Some are raised to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of judgment. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Well, as I said in the beginning, not a comprehensive study by any means, but maybe gives us some principles that, that we can use to, to, to see the world and to see the world for what it is. What, what's going on in the world around us? Satan is on the prowl. And sometimes people just choose, that's just, they just choose to be evil. Sometimes it's as simple as that, isn't it? They just choose to do evil and, uh, instead of good. But one day, God is going to deal with all of that. Ultimately, deal with it in judgment. He's given us the opportunity to escape that judgment, to, to escape the wrath of God poured out against transgression through the cross of Christ. We pray that each one will take advantage of that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the, the day, the first day of the week, the Lord's day, and the opportunity we have today to come together in this assembly and to worship you. We pray your blessings, Father, on everyone who's here, all the families represented here. We know, Father, that there are people who would 
who'd love to be among us, and yet they're not able to, and we ask your blessings on them as well. Father, we live in a dark world. There, there are good people in the world and good things being done, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, as your word has said, and it's a dark, dark place. Help us, Father, to see it for what it is, that it's the work of Satan who's trying to draw us away from you. Help us to identify his tactics and his schemes that he's using against us, and help us then to resist the temptation he sets before us. Father, help us to, to use our ability to choose, to choose good, to choose life, to choose to fear you and to walk with you. And Father, we pray that we will have an influence on those around us to that effect as well, that they too might come to know you and to fear you. We understand, Father, that this world is a temporary place. Uh, we, we pass through this world in the course of our lives, and then, and then we face eternity. And so, Father, help us to put all of these events and all that we see in, in the proper perspective and help us devote ourselves to being prepared for eternity through the opportunity you provided for us in Christ. May we take advantage of the atonement that he's made for our sin on the cross by putting our faith in him and obeying the terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then help us to follow in the steps of Jesus, to walk as he walked, so that we might please you in every way, so that we might have that home in heaven with you throughout all eternity. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if you're subject to the invitation today, you certainly have the opportunity.